It'd be great if you could turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. That's the book we're looking at. We're seeing how Paul turns our thinking upside down. That's the point of that. And uh, we're going to look this afternoon at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's on page 1145. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1145. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's this kind of crescendo, right? It sort of starts and Paul gets more and more and more excited. Until at the end of chapter 3, he is really loud. It's difficult to tell that in the writing, but you can tell it when you, when you listen to it. At the end of 1 Corinthians 3, it builds right up to this big crescendo. Let me, uh, let me read it, why don't you follow, and uh, see if you can work out what I'm talking about. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel the passion and the power with which Paul is speaking? That's what I want us to try to get to. I want us to get to that crescendo and understand why that crescendo is so key for us as a church to understand. 
But we're going to start um, with verse 21. Have a look at verse 21. This is where Paul kind of built his argument to before he then bursts into his all things are yours. Look at verse 21. So then, in other words, listen up. This is, what I've, this is the point. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Let's stop that nonsense, Paul says. Stop behaving like little children. Stop boasting about human leaders. Now, that's, that seems to be the point. That's his big thing. And we may say, well, we're not, I don't know if I am very tempted to boast about human leaders. Well, well, why is that so important? Okay, let me try and ask the question a slightly different way. Do you ever look at other people? Do you ever look around you and feel inferior to other people? So that's a, that's a slightly stupid question because I, I, I sort of know you do. Because <laughs> we all do. We all suffer from what you might call an inferiority complex. We all suffer from that sense that other people just seem to be more sorted. They seem happier, richer. They seem to be having more fun. And I'm sitting at home in my flat on my own. And I look on Facebook and everybody else seems to be somewhere doing something which I'm not doing. It could be tough, right? And that's not just a problem for us as individuals. I think that's a problem for us as churches. As churches, we can look around us at the world, look around us at people, and we just feel a bit inferior. We look around and we just feel a bit weak. It's a bit, I mean, look, let's face it, church is just a bit pathetic, isn't it? Compared to the culture around us, our numbers are small, and we're constantly being told that the numbers in church are shrinking. The message seems to be less and less fashionable. Culture seems to be shifting further and further away from the things that we say we believe. We listen to comedians. I was listening to a clip of Mickey Flanagan this week. Just ripping into Christians about what absolute idiots anyone is to believe in God. And it's hard not to just feel a little bit like, Ugh, to begin to feel a bit inferior. And when we begin to feel inferior, the temptation is that we then try to mimic those who we think are better than us. We try to be like them. It's what I want to call the King Louis uh, syndrome. For those of you who are cultured and think I'm referring to French aristocracy, (laughs) believe me, I'm not. Jungle Book, King Louis, the monkey who looked at human beings and said, I'm inferior to those human beings and ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to be like you. That, you, I was resisting. I was, I was holding back for, this, for the sake of being grown up, but I sense a, a move. Do you know what? That, that has always been a big problem. We look at others who we think are superior to us and we say, I just want to be like you. And so we try to copy those around us. And that's always been a problem for God's people. That is what was happening in the church in Corinth. They wanted leaders who the world would say, wow, they're good. Now, let me, let me show you that this has always been a problem. Keep a finger on 1 Corinthians. We're coming back to it. But turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, which is earlier in the Bible, on page 278. Page 278. And listen out, right? Listen out. Here's the King Louis 
complex, right, bold as brass in front of our faces. In 1, Kings, 1 Samuel 8, sorry, God's people say, we want a king. Up until this point, they've not had a king. They say, we want a king. And Samuel, the, the leader at the time, he's not the king, he's the leader. He's like, well, I don't think that's a very good idea. But look what they say in verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Can't you hear it? We want a king. Why do they want a king? Because then we'll be like everyone else. Because if we could get a king, then we would look impressive to the rest of the nations. We just look a bit pathetic. Who's your king? People say to us, well, we don't really have a king. Well, it's pathetic. We've got a mighty king. Well, we want a mighty king. You see how this works. And this is the problem. When we begin to feel inferior, we want to copy. And it's so childish. Doesn't it sound like the kid at school who says, you know, I, I want the latest trainers, I want the new this, I want the more, I need this, I need this, I need this, because I want to be like him, him, him. <laughs> Do you know the really tragic thing in 1 Samuel 8? Is that the people did have a king. Do you know who was their king? Their king was the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who with one word spoke creation into being. And here is the big thing I want you to get today. And if you don't, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. God is saying, if only you knew, if only you knew what you had, if only you knew who you were, it would change everything. Oh, Israel, if only you knew that the Lord was your king. Oh, church in Corinth, if only you knew who you were, it would change everything. The problem is not that the church in Corinth is setting their ambition too high. It's that they're setting it too low. So let's come back to 1 Corinthians 3 with all that stuff in our heads. And let's... let's um, Let's work our way through these pas- this passage, and I want to try and show you this King Louis uh, syndrome that keeps coming up. And I want to show you how Paul combats it. So look with me at verse 1. Let's work our way through. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. That is a pretty stinging verse, right? To a church that prides itself on being impressive, to a church that loves its reputation, Paul writes them and says, well, you're still babies. You're not spirit. You're not led by the spirit. You're not walking with the spirit. You're not impressive. You're still worldly. In other words, you still want to be like the world. You still want to be like that. And you know nothing of the Spirit. Paul says to them in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So Paul says when someone's, you know, when the church started, he gave them milk, he gave them stuff that they could digest, he gave them stuff that they could understand, he helped them, he, he broke up the food. You know with a baby, you don't just give it like a massive, great 16-ounce steak and say, chew on that. 
you squidge it up. You kind of do stuff to it to make it squishy so that it can put it in and it goes down, right? That's what Paul did. He says, that's how I treated you, like a little child. I gave you stuff you could understand. I told you about Jesus and about him crucified, how he died for your sin. But you know what? You haven't grown up at all. Last week we were seeing in 1 Corinthians 2 that the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God and reveals the very mind of God to us. And he says, you're not even ready for that. Because you're still trying to be like the world. And there's so much that God has to teach you. So much that he wants you to know. But you're still being being like children. There's jealousy and quarrelling among you. Of course there is, because it's all the arguments about who's the most impressive. My leader's better than your leader. I prefer Paul, I prefer Paulus. This is worldly. This is how things work in the world. This is what we see and we say, ooh, 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 I want to be like you. And through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wants to change their ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Are you ready? You're excited. I can tell you're excited. It's not that good. I feel like I've now built it up to something which it really isn't. (laughs) Your ooh, ooh, ooh needs to become oh, oh, oh. (laughs) This is what you need to know, right? Oh, ooh, ooh, I want to be like you. Oh, oh, oh. This is what I need to know. It doesn't even work. But it will stick in your minds. And Paul says, you're still ooh, 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 Christians. You're still trying to live like the world. You're still trying to mimic the world. You're still trying to impress the world. And he says, oh, if only you would know. If only you could know who you truly are. All this pathetic squabbling and arguing about ridiculous things that just don't matter. So that's, that's, that's him setting it up. If only you knew... Let's have a look at what he does. He's got three things. If only you knew three things that he wants us to know. Firstly, God makes it grow. If only you knew that God makes it grow, you'd stop being so impressed by people. So look down with me at verse 5. What after all is Apollos? <laughs> if you were Apollos, right, and you're sitting there listening to Paul's letter, Paul's written, oh, nice. I wonder if he's got anything nice to say about me. And what after all is Apollos? It's a good job he writes the next line. And what is Paul? <laughs> okay. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. That, that's all I am. I'm, I'm not the mighty apostle. I'm just, I'm just a servant. I planted the seed. Apollos put some water on it. That's, some, that's like kiddie stuff, right? How many of you have ever put cress seed on a bit of kitchen roll. You know when you put the stuff on the kitchen roll and you leave it on the thing and then it grows? How many of you were like, wow, look what I did. I'm so amazed. I'm I'm impressed we did. (laughs) There's nothing impressive to put a bit of seed in and then Apollos puts a bit of water on but God is the one who does the magic. But it's probably not magic. God is the one who makes it grow. 
So look at verse 7. Here's the conclusion, right? If that's true, if Apollos and Paul are only servants, they just had a little part to play, what's the conclusion? Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Or nothing? Can I have a little bit? Okay, well, you did well. You did 5%. And God, no. Do you see how clear Paul is? I'm nothing. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. If only you knew that the church in Corinth is something that God has made grow. Of course, if you think it was Paul, then you're going to worship Paul. And of course, if you think it was Apollos, you're going to be all high and mighty about Apollos. This is why we must be so careful to call the Globe Church God's church. It is not our church. It's not John T's church. It's not whatever else's church. It's God's church because he's the one who made it grow. If only we knew that. Don't you think that's exciting? If we were building a human institution here, right? If we were just building a little club and we were trying to gather as many people as we could to run a knitting club, you know, we could do nice things and we could have nice sessions and we'd get the best knitters in the world to come and show us their record knitting speed and we go, wow, they're amazing. Look at those knitters, they're fantastic. And we might get quite big. We could gather a big, big thing. And that would be a fine thing if you like knitting. That would be a happy thing, but that's not the church. The church is something that God is doing. And in Corinth, they've forgotten that. They think it's all about humans. So Paul says, the one who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their labour. When Paul says, I'm, I'm nothing, he doesn't say that my work counts for nothing. Do you see that? Actually, the work he's done is highly, highly significant, and he will be rewarded for it. But not because it was his work, but because God used him. If only you knew that God makes it grow. But we need to move on. Because in verse 9, he does this clever little switch. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. It's like, boom. There's a change of metaphor. Straight away, we go from field, done that, God makes it grow. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? God makes it grow. So shut up and stop being so proud. Suddenly it switches from the field that God makes grow to the building. The building that God is working on. And here's the second thing. If only you knew how much God loves this building. Not this building. This building. I mean, this building is better than I thought it was going to be. But this building is much better than I thought it was going to be. If only you knew how much God loves this building. Look down with me at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. When you hear the language of building in the Bible, it's hard not to have your mind cast back to the great building that God 
that God enabled his people to build at the temple. Hard not to have your mind cast back to that, particularly as Paul's about to say, you're the temple. This building, the church that God is building, is the temple. It's his dwelling place on earth. Back in the 80s, uh, Belinda Carlisle sang a song that went, uh, it went, heaven is a place on earth. There was an ooh baby bit before it, but I couldn't quite remember how that went. And I felt that wasn't relevant, so I left that bit out. Heaven is a place on earth. That's true. Not quite how she meant it, but it's true. God lives in his church, in his temple. That is why he loves this building. God is putting together a building called the church, which is the most precious and valuable thing. And he's laid a foundation. You don't get to choose the foundation. He's laid the foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. If only you knew how much God loved this building. He sent his son, his one and only darling, precious son, the prince of heaven. He sent his son into this world to give his life on a cross. Jesus laid his life down. And as Jesus died, he laid a foundation that God would spend eternity building on. Have you ever dug a foundation? I did once. It was for a porch. I think I dug it too deep. I don't think it needed quite the extensive depth that I went to, but I was having fun. My foundation will very, very quickly fall down, I imagine. We've moved from that house now, so it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) But God has laid a foundation in what he's done in Christ that will never, ever crumble. That means you don't get to change it. He's laid this foundation. And Paul says, as a wise builder, I've, I've put that foundation in place in Corinth. I've told you about Christ crucified. I've told you about this king. And now other people are building on it, but you'd better build with care. Because it's such a precious foundation. And in verse 12, he talks about different sorts of people who come. I think he's talking about different preachers who will come and preach, who will come and speak, who will come and teach about the church. And in verse 12, he talks about those building on this foundation. He says, some use gold or silver or costly stones or wood or hay or straw. So some people come and build with care and they build rightly and they build with precious stones and they build what is lasting. Others come and they build with human wisdom. And they say, ooh, 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 let's be like them. And they want to try and be like the world. They're saying, yeah, yeah, it's great, we've got Jesus, we've got Jesus. But let's see if we can make it a bit more like the church, like the world outside. Look how much God loves his his building. Have a look at verse 13. Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, 
but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Here's the thing, right? God so loves this building that he cares how it's built. He cares about those who come and seek to build on his foundation. He cares. And to those who build in dependence upon the Spirit, who say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the deep things of God that I might build rightly, that I might point people to the true wisdom that comes from God. You know what? For all of their life, they will face mockery, and disappointment, and people going, what a rubbish message. And Mickey Flanagan standing on the TV, bloody blaring about nonsense. And those who build with gold and silver and precious stones, it will be tough because no one will see what you're building. It will look rubbish. And the irony is that those who build with wood and hay and straw... It will look impressive to the world. The world will say, oh yes, I like that. It's nice, nice. But who cares what the world thinks? Because there will come a day when God will look at his church and he will see how those who have preached the message have treated his church. And to those who have been spirit-filled preachers, who have preached the mysteries of God, their work will be shown for what it really is. And to those who are charlatans, to those who have played to the crowd it will be a devastating day now look the good news for most of you is that most of you aren't preachers (laughs) the Bible says some pretty shocking things about preaching the Bible says that preachers will be judged more strictly than anyone else I find that pretty sobering to build on the foundation that is Christ is a sobering thing And yet it's a glorious thing. So I beg of you, as Globe Church, that you hold us preachers accountable. And that if you suspect that we are building with wood and stray, hay and straw, please say something. Please, please say something. Because we want to be a church that is building on this foundation in a way which pleases God. God loves his church. He will not, he will not allow his church to be harmed. Have a look down to verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Oh, 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 don't you know? You're God's temple. You're a precious building. God's spirit lives among you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. To take a church and to destroy a church, to harm a church, to preach falsehood to a church is the most serious thing we could do. Because God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Okay, I've got one final thing, okay? Don't you know? Don't you know that God makes it grow, that God loves this building? Here's the third thing. third thing is that God has given you everything. This is where we get to the crescendo. Okay? So if, you, if you're struggling, if you're uh, thinking, oh man, uh, it's a bit warm in here, uh, then let's, let's wake up for this, because this bit is the crescendo. Right? This is where we're building to. Verse 18, don't, do not deceive yourselves. Stop trying to fit in with the world. Stop trying to be impressive. Stop trying to copy everyone around you. If you think you're wise by the standards of this age, 
If, you, if the world looks at us and says, wow, what a wise, wise church. You know what? God thinks we're fools. Because actually God's wisdom and the world's wisdom just don't go together. The world will never think that God's wisdom is wise. So don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. God is not impressed. And even if the world speaks well, even if the world says, ah, they're so wonderful, lovely, lovely, lovely people, God isn't impressed. And it says, uh, verse 19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and the futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Right, that's it. No more boasting about human stuff, right? This is not a human enterprise. This is not a human operation. This is a spirit-filled, spirit-driven God thing going on in the church. And here it comes. All things are yours. Just let that sink in, right? Listen to it. Globe Church, all things are yours. In case you're uh, like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what's included in all things. You know, I wonder how, I wonder how big this goes. Well, he, he helps us. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas. Think about that. Those are the guys they're arguing about, right? They're going, oh, we've got these fantastic leaders. And Paul says, oh, who cares? They're yours. They're there to serve you. They're yours. Don't boast about them. But let's not stop there. The world. Oh, okay. All things are yours by which you mean the world. Or life. Or death. Or the present or the future. I think that's fairly extensive. What Paul is saying is, if only you knew what was yours. If only you knew. I think sometimes we act like we are thieves rather than children. Let me explain. If I, if I imagine I owned a vast sweet shop empire and someone broke into my warehouse what, what would they do? they'd grab as much as they could right? they'd grab as much as they could and they'd feel like am I going to get caught? they'd grab as much as they could and then they'd, they'd run out the door but my kids it would be like all of this is mine Do you see the difference, right? Sometimes we act like we're thieves. We act like we're here and we've got to grab as much stuff as we can. It's like, ah, I need to get some more stuff. I need a better phone. I need a better house. I need a better... Uh, not wife, that's different. I need, a, um, I need a better holiday. I need a better this. I need a better church. I need a better leader. I need, certainly need a better preacher. I need more. I need more stuff. And it's like, no. All things are yours. It's all yours. Why are you so stressed about this? And we go, but it doesn't feel like it's all mine. Because when I walk into Harrods tomorrow and help myself to the 80-inch plasma screen TV and they say, what are you doing? I say, well, the Bible says all things are mine. (laughs) Just taking what is rightly mine. 
actually spiritually that is true and physically it is true and all things are ours and we need to get a new perspective on the bigness of what God has done. When God made you his child, when God brought you into his family, when God gave his son to die for you and to forgive all of your sin and to give you new life, he gave you everything. Everything. I came across this uh, brilliant quote from a, a, a Christian from many years ago called John Chrysostom. And, and just listen, this is a great example of what I'm talking about. He was in the Roman, at times of the Roman Empire, he was a preacher of Jesus. And the Roman Empire said, I will banish you from this land. Listen to what he said. The whole land belongs to my father. And you can't banish me from my father's house. To which the emperor said, I will confiscate all of your property. John Chrysostom said, but my treasure is in heaven. You can't touch it. To which the emperor said, I will separate you from your friends. To which John Chrysostom said, but my friend is in heaven, Christ Jesus. And the emperor said, then I will kill you. And he said, that you cannot do. For my life is hid with Christ in God. Isn't that brilliant? What a, what a perspective on life. I mean, that is seriously... Do you think John Chrysostom was one of those blokes who was arguing about how impressive the preacher was? He's like, no way. All things are mine in Christ. It's all mine. No one can take it away. And whatever suffering, even death itself is mine, is to serve me. Even death itself in the hands of Jesus now becomes the gateway to heaven itself. The sting of death has been removed. All life is mine. All death is mine. What I have now is mine. The future which I fear so much is mine in Christ. It's all yours. And it's yours because you belong to Christ. And it's Christ's because he belongs to God his Father. What more do you want? And this is Paul's killer argument of boasting. Why are you boasting and arguing about, ah, oh, I want more, I want, wish we had a bigger church, wish we had a better building, wish we had better this. It's all ours in Christ. And that means when suffering comes, even in our suffering, we say it's all mine in Christ. I can trust him. Do you know what this does? This sets you free. Let me prove it to you as we finish. Okay? Let, me, let me prove it to you. The man who most clearly knew this, better than John Chrysostom, the man who most clearly knew this was Jesus. He knew that all things were his. And it says in John 13 that Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his feet, listen to this, Jesus, knowing that all things were his, got up from the dinner table, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. When all things are yours, well, then you serve.
when you know that all things are yours, it sets you free to really love. But if you're stressed, if you need to get more, if you're obsessed with more, 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 then it's impossible to serve. So guys, we, 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 let's, let's pull all this together. I wonder this afternoon, and we're going to spend some time now just reflecting on this and singing about this together. But let's just take that verse. Just, why not close your eyes for a second? And let me read those words again slowly to you. And I want you to hear them being spoken to you, being spoken to us as Globe Church. Here's what God wants you to know. If only you knew this. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Do you see what difference that would make? If only you knew. If only you knew that. 